Today's gospel reading is from the Gospel of John, and you might just happen to recognize it. For God so loved the world that he, so that everyone who believes in him may not perish, but may have eternal life. Indeed, God did not send his son into the world to, very good, but in order that the world might be saved through him. Those who believe in him are not condemned, but those who do not believe are condemned already because they have not believed in the name of the only Son of God. And this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love darkness rather than light because their deeds were evil. For all who do evil hate the light and do not come to the light so that their deeds may not be exposed. But those who do what is true... Come to the light, so that it may be clearly seen that their deeds have been done in God. Here ends the reading. So, I want to show you something that you've probably never seen before. And maybe the whole reason why we are here in this church today. Anybody read uh, Latin? Anybody take a guess what this might be? It's not Martin Luther's. Good try, good try. I don't know if you can see it. See if you can read that top word. Indulgencia. That's not probably how you pronounce it in Latin, but this is a copy of an original unused indulgence. This is what you would get if you paid to have your loved one released from purgatory. Right? And that's, I mean, this was one of the things that this guy, who's, what's his name? Right? Was very upset about. Was how the church was misusing um was misusing things and, and using a what we would call a works righteousness, meaning that you have to do stuff in order to receive the grace of God, right? Because this is really a grace, right? Forgiveness of sins is a grace. Well, this was, this was issued by who? The Pope. Not by the Catholic Church necessarily, but this was issued by the Pope because the Pope is the head of the church on earth. That's what they believe. The Pope is the head of the church on earth. But here's what we know. And here's what those guys began to teach us. It's right in our hymnal. It's this amazing, amazing theological statement right here. The church's one foundation is... The answer in the church is... Right, Jesus Christ, her Lord. She, meaning the church, is his new creation by water and the word. What is that reference? Baptism, right? You see me pour the water into this baptismal bowl every Sunday to remind us that water is thicker than blood. She is his new creation by water and the word. From heaven he came and sought her to be his holy bride. With his own blood he bought her, and for her life 
he died. I mean, right there, I should just sit down. That's the whole, I mean, that's, the church's one foundation is, is Jesus. That's, that was a fundamental shift in some ways. Because then what happened in the Reformation was that um, through, through their investigation of the scriptures and people being able to read the scriptures on their own, they began to realize and to say, we don't need a mediator between us and Jesus. We don't need a mediator between us and the Holy Spirit. We don't need a mediator between us and God the Father, as they would have said it. Because we all have access to God because Jesus is the one, is the, is the one foundation. And Jesus is, is available to us all. And I know this, this, I mean, this is not news to us. Because we've been, we've been born and many of us have born and raised in Reformed churches in churches that came out of the Reformation, in Protestant churches. We've been, we've been raised this way. But I want you to, well, I want you to, uh, on, the, on your table, on your table, may I borrow yours? Thank you. On your table, you'll see um, some foundational thoughts on the church from the Book of Order. And, you know, I talked about the Book of Order uh, last week. Uh, I talked about the three books. And, and, what, and what they mean to us. The, and what are they? Do they may remember? First one's easy. Bible. Second one. Book of Confessions. Good job, elders. Third one. Book of Order. Very good. Okay. So in the, in the Book of Order, in the very front, there's a foundations section. And it's really cool. Because it just reminds me and reminds us of what the, what the foundational pieces of our church is. And I don't mean, when, and, when I, I, and I'm speaking incorrectly, we all do. When we say the church, what we really should mean is the church universal. When we talk about Westminster, we shouldn't talk about Westminster Church, we should talk about the congregation. Because the church is not this building, it's the people. Right? This congregation is the people, and we're part of the church, the church universal, of which Jesus is the foundation of. So it's something that, that I, I, we, we mess it up all the time. So we always talk about our, my church, this church. It's really our congregation. And we're part of the church universal. So this is talking about the church universal is the body of Christ. I love, I love this. Uh, the church is the body of Christ. Christ gives to the church all the gifts necessary to be his body. I want to bring that down to the individual level just for a minute. Christ gives to Clark all the gifts that he needs to be Clark. Christ gives to Stephanie all the gifts that she needs to be Stephanie. Imagine if you actually believe that about yourself. I have all the gifts in Christ that I need to be me. The one whom God created. Now, as we think about the church, then, the church is the body of Christ. Christ gives to the church all the gifts necessary to be his body. The church strives to demonstrate these gifts in its life as a community in the world. 
the church is to be a community of faith. Now, I want to I say the church, and it's capital C in there. They mean the church universal, but I'd like to bring that also down to the congregational level. The church is to be a community. The congregation is to be a community of faith, entrusting itself to God alone, even at the risk of losing its life. That's not a very palatable subject, is it? That a congregation would, would seek to follow God in such a way that it, that it might go out of existence. But there are some awesome stories about congregations um, who, instead of clinging on to the last vestige of what they had been years and years and years ago, they took themselves and they made themselves an offering out into their community. And maybe they gave up their building and they gave up this and that, but they were able to give a blessing into their community that they would not have given had they just held on so tightly to what they had been. They trusted God so much that they could believe that out of death could come life. Churches to be a community of faith, entrusting itself to God alone even at the risk of losing its life. The church is to be a community of hope, rejoicing in the sure and certain knowledge that in Christ, God is making a new creation. This new creation is a new beginning for human life and for all things. The church lives in the present on the strength of that promised new creation. I don't know about you, but it is sometimes hard to be a person of hope. I mean, we are, we are globally connected now. So we, we hear, we hear all the, almost all the bad news from everywhere immediately. We hear almost none of the good news from everywhere immediately. Right? The good news comes to us in, in little bits and pieces mostly. But the bad news comes to us in a fire hose. It's hard to be a, a community of hope. But if Jesus is the foundation, if Jesus gives us all that we need, then we can work for that new creation. We can work for all of that and, and not lose hope. Now, I'm not going to say you're not going to feel despondent, like Russ was saying. It's not like, oh, I believe in Jesus and now, now everything's just great. When we put our trust in God, when, when Jesus and um, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit become that foundation for us of our lives, the way we live our lives is guided and directed by God, that we're going to see things differently. We're also going to want to do things differently. The way we spend our money and our time, the things that we're willing to do or not willing to do. The church is to be a community of love or the congregation is to be a community of love where sin is forgiven, reconciliation is accomplished, and the dividing walls of hostility are torn down. Wow. I know I can't do that. I, I, don't, I don't have that kind of power. I can forgive people, but I, you know, I mean, but to, to help reconcile, like that's, that's got to that's be a Holy Spirit, godly kind of work to reconcile things that have been broken apart. God has to be in the mix of that, I think. I know for it to work. I mean, have you ever tried to reconcile with someone that you've ever had a fight with? You need some otherworldly spiritual help if it's going to work in the life of that, the other person and in your life as well. Because uh, we, we, we love to hold grudges. 
We love it. There's something about it. They just, I don't know why, but it, it feeds us. The church is to be a community of witness, pointing beyond itself through word and work to the good news of God's transforming grace in Christ Jesus, its Lord. So we are supposed to be evangelists. I know that's a scary word, but the, the, the translation of that that I like is bringers of good news. We often think of evangelists as like, I'm going to get you to make a confession. I'm going to make you pray the sinner's prayer. It's time to turn before you burn, right? That's right. All that kind of stuff. That's not, I mean, to me, that's not necessarily evangelism. Evangelism is to be a bringer of good news. To point out the things that are happening. To point out the things that that people are doing that are actually helping to change the world. Individuals. One person at a time. So there's some other, there's other things in here, and I'd love for you to, love for you to, to read them at some point. Um, just look at them, but, I, but I, love, I love that section, the church is the body of Christ. It's just, it's beautiful. It's beautiful, and I forget that that's what we're supposed to be sometimes. I get too worried about, you know, making sure the plumbing works and toilets flush and toilet paper holders are up on the walls and I mean you know that the kind of nitty-gritty but that's part of what we do that's part of how we live out our work and our business. but so then many things uh, in our faith in the reformed faith then derive themselves from from Jesus as the one foundation and some of those are in, in trusting that God gives us everything that we need and God provides us with everything that we need one of the things that Presbyterians get made uh there's a lot of a lot of jokes about it. There's a lot of uh, uh, people don't understand it. Is is the, this other P word, which is predestination, right? Because people don't people don't necessarily understand it because they they think about it as you know just what we call double predestination, which is means that you're you're either predestined to burn or predestined to salvation. And the reason why we get to this point, the reason why Calvin spent some time working on this is because of his fundamental belief in in God, in Jesus, as the foundation of everything and giving us everything and God's providence, meaning that God is active and involved. And so if if someone does come to faith, that must be predestined. That's how he worked that out. Because there's a theme in the scripture about that we were that that um, that we were predestined, chosen before the foundation of the world to do good works, and so they have to. So, so the reformers had to work on this idea because they were trying to stay true to what the Bible had to say about that. We get all freaked out about that because. We want to we believe with all of our heart and mind and soul that we have, free, we have ultimate free will. And that, and that, not, you know, that there's, there's nothing. But yet, but yet, some of us will also talk about how, I just wish God would tell me what God's plan is for my life. Well, which one do you want? I mean, do you want ultimate free will? Just whatever, go do whatever you want, or do you, or do you want God's plan for you? What, like, what do you want? I mean, we, we, we you know, that's an old saying. We want our cake and we want to eat it too. 
That's why predestination gets us all worked up. And let me tell you, there, if you Google predestination jokes, mostly it's, it's other people who, who believe in ultimate free will, meaning that we make a choice for God who are making fun of Presbyterians. Then jokes are horrible. I mean, here's how bad they are. So you know what the Presbyterian dating service is? Just go home and wait for the phone to ring. It's horrible. How many Presbyterians did it take to change the light bulb? None. It was supposed to go out. I mean, they're, they're horrible. They're horrible. But there are some, there are some people who took who took Calvin's teachings on predestination and have, and have gone that far. They basically say that pe- their people are either predestined. And so, and so what does that mean? Well, to me, to me it would be like, well, why? What's our role in all that? That's the big question then with predestination. Well, what's our role in all that? Because we, we believe that we were called... We were called to do good works. We were, call, we were called by God's grace, not to earn God's salvation, but called then to, to work for God's kingdom in the world. And Jesus sent us out to make disciples, to make other followers. So it's, it's this interesting theological, very subtle thing. And Calvin actually wrote later, he said, I spent a lot of time on this, but it is not central to the gospel. So don't you spend a lot of time on it. Well, that's what Presbyterians have been known for. If you, if you tell somebody you're Presbyterian, oh, you believe everybody's and blah, blah, blah. Okay, whatever. Let's, let's spend a whole semester studying that. Maybe, maybe you'll get to, to start um, figuring that out. This notion that, that Jesus is the foundation and that God has given us everything and God provides for us is also the way that we understand stewardship. Everything that we have comes from God and we are blessed with it to be stewards of it, to use it for God's kingdom. To use it for those things that we believe God would want to have happen in the world. To, 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 you know, and, especially, and especially in the scripture, it, it's just over and over and over again, to protect the widow and the orphan and the refugees and the lowly and the poor. To give people dignity and purpose. Because we have been blessed with so much. We then do that. And, and, and when people say, well, I don't, I, you know, I don't have much to give or whatever. I said, well, can you love somebody? Can you take care of somebody? Can you use your t- time? Everybody has time. Somewhere along the line. We decide what we're doing with it. It isn't just about finances, but it is about how we, how we use our lives for that kingdom. And that comes from this, this foundational belief in Jesus as the, as, as the firm foundation. When we believe that, we can begin to, to, to change the way that we work and live because we aren't so caught up in the things that the world is telling us that we have to be and have to do. Just the other day, a, a friend of mine sent me a, a note from a book, and he said, and he said uh, in, in the book it's basically said that the church who is living out um, its call faithfully, the congregation that's living out its call faithfully, is not concerned with social status. Is not concerned with social status. And I was like, wow, that's kind of countercultural. Because I don't know about you, but there are times when I get concerned about social status. 
and why mine isn't higher. <laughs> the church is one foundation. So this also plays out in, in then how we think about work. It used to be before the Reformation that work was basically seen as a drudgery. That it didn't have any inherent value, necessarily. That really, if, if you were to be faithful, the highest calling was to go be a, a monk or a nun and just be in the, you know, in the consistory or whatever and to be studying the Bible and, and doing that sort of thing. But the reformers began to hear a theme in the scripture that God gives us all these things to do good works and that those good works can come through our work. That the way that we live, the the kinds of work that we choose to do, how we treat the people that we work with, all of that can be an expression of our faith. That that actually work can have a holy part to it. Martin Luther said, um, you know, if 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 you sweep the church floor, sweep it to the glory of the Lord. And so sometimes when, when I'm thinking about complaining about something that I'm doing here around the church. I'm like, I, you know, I'm going to do this to the glory of the Lord. This isn't about me. This is about what God wants and what God needs. You can begin to change how you come to work, how you, how you treat other people, how you do your work, what kind of work you choose to do. And so, and so those things coming out of the, you know, Jesus as the firm foundation you may not have even realized that, that, would, that those things could come from there. But it's a, it's a revolutionary sort of thing, at least at that time, because it was the Pope who was the one who was really the foundation of the church. That was, that was the voice that spoke the loudest. With the Reformers, it was the living word of God through the Scripture and in Jesus that we were, that we were um, to listen to. And so there's one, another thing that comes out of that. In our, in our book of order, it says that God is the Lord of the conscience. And that's kind of a, it's an interesting phrase, isn't it? But basically what it, what it means is that, is that God has given us all the gifts that we need to be us, and that as we study the scripture, as we, as we live out our faith, we may disagree on how to work out that kingdom. But that God is the Lord of the conscience. And that we are to come faithfully to those decisions with with an open mind to what God would want for us and for the kingdom. And so we may disagree about certain things, but it is God that holds it all together. It's a very interesting thing to hold that as part of a foundational belief, especially then when you come around a table of leadership. Because what it does is it says to each person, you need to take this very seriously. You need to consider this. What does this mean for you, for your faith? What is the Holy Spirit speaking to you? And you need to bring that with love into this discussion. Because then it is through God working in that community that we come up with what those next steps are and where we're going from there.
So I want to read to you this last verse. Yet she, meaning the church, on earth has union with God, the three in one, and mystic sweet communion with those whose rest is one. Oh, happy ones and holy, Lord, give us grace that we, like them, the meek and lowly, may live eternally. Christ is the one sure foundation and has given you everything you need to be you, has given this congregation everything we need to be Westminster, has given the church everything it needs to be evangelists in the world. May we live standing on that firm foundation. Amen.